Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to an Amber Day, the functional nutrition podcast. I'm your host, Amber Fisher. And uh, today we're coming in under the wire. So it is Sunday evening, uh, July 11th, and this podcast is going to be published on Tuesday morning. So if you're listening to this, this is a very recent podcast. I've got some in the drafts, but I thought it was time that we do a question and answer. I've been wanting to record this all week, but I got caught up with this fantastic conference that I have been a part of. Um, So, you know, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about that, and I will probably do a few podcasts covering some of the clinical pearls that I took away, the gems that I plan to incorporate into my practice and to hopefully inform all of you about. But I just want to mention that I was at the Institute for Functional Medicine's Advanced Practitioner Module for uh, Hormones, and it was kind of a dream come true. Because since I started my master's program, I have always wanted to be involved in functional medicine. I've just always been like fascinated with the Institute for Functional Medicine and thought they were so cool. Um, really planned to become a functional medicine certified practitioner right as soon as school was done. But at the time, I didn't know this until I actually graduated with my degree. At the time, they didn't accept my credential, which is a certified nutrition specialist. Uh, however, they do now. So uh, they started accepting CNSs uh, several years ago, I guess. And so, yeah, so I'm like, well, okay, it's my time, right? So I have been going through their practitioner um practitioner certification program. And part of what you do for that is you get your learning at these conferences. So you take this sort of general conference all about what functional medicine is and how to incorporate it into practice. Um, I did that. And I already was running a functional practice because my master's degree was in functional nutrition. So I had a lot of learning previously from the IFM. I was a member, a student member of the IFM while I was in school. So um, that was a lot of like refresher stuff. But then now I get to do these uh, modules that are advanced training in specific subjects. So I started things off with a bang and did the hormone conference first. Uh, and I'm glad I did. It was so it was just so, gosh, what's the word? It was so much information. My brain is like literally going to explode. We just finished up today um, at like four o'clock. So it's, you know, it's in the evening right now. So I'm still kind of coming off of this big major event and haven't synthesized all the information yet, but I've got tons of notes written. I have pages and pages of notes and I learned a lot. Um, you know, the more that I know about nutrition, the more that I realize I don't know. And it's always very exciting for me to be in a room of people 
and um, be connected to people and be learning from people who have more experience than me, who know more than I do, and just picking up on these things that I didn't know before. Um, and now I can take that back to my clients. So I have like six or seven clients who just popped up for me during the conference, like, oh, we need to do this. Oh, we need to do that. So that is very exciting. Um, I think, you know, and it's important, I think, to, to put that out there that as, as practitioners, and this includes doctors and, um, nutritionists and all the people who work in medicine, we're always learning. You know, they call it a practice for a reason. We're always growing and changing and learning from our patients and learning from our continuing education and, um, just from our experience over the years. So if anybody acts like they've got it all figured out, um, run the other direction, you know, uh, value humility in your practitioners because there's just so much to know and no one could ever know all of it. But, um, you know, it's really, really cool to be a part of that. So that was exciting. I've got lots of gems for you guys. Um, my plan was to edit and put up the podcast that I did with Dr. Kalia Waddles, who is a member of the IFM. She helps run the hormone conference. And she actually did a talk this year that I got to see today, which was really awesome. I totally fangirled because um, I'm like a little bit obsessed with her. I think she's amazing. But uh, anyway, I didn't have time to do the editing justice. I'm over here doing my own editing still, guys, although that may change. But at the moment, we're still doing our own editing. So, uh, yeah, I thought I would just take the time and, and do a question and answer podcast because I got a lot of questions. Thank you. If you submitted a question to my question form, um, I love you. Thank you. You're awesome. If you've DM'd me on Instagram, your question may be coming up today as well. Uh, but I prefer it if you are a listener of the podcast and you do have questions about anything, anything you want to ask me. Um, there is a form that you'll find in the show notes that says ask Amber a question and uh, you can ask a question that will be directly used on the podcast. We keep the names anonymous um, and uh, I can notify you when it's going to be your podcast where I'll answer your question. But it's just kind of a cool way for me to, you know, get to answer things that, that come up and DMs that I get in a way that's a little bit less formal. Um, you know, and so I guess I should do a little disclaimer at the beginning here. And this goes not just for this podcast, but for all my podcasts. This is not medical advice, guys. This is for informational purposes only. Um, always consult your doctor before you implement any of the changes that I recommend in my podcast. Um, always remember that you're a unique individual and what works for you may not work for somebody else and vice versa. So definitely be in touch with your healthcare providers about what's right for you. Don't just do something just because you heard it on my podcast. Okay. So with that said, I have a few questions. I'm going to start out with some that are here on my, um, on my phone. So I got a series of questions this week about high testosterone in women. And I think this is, uh, particularly somebody who's got PCOS. Um, that tends to be most of the questions that I'm getting here, but several questions about the balancing of hormones and things like that. So the first question that I want to answer is, will increasing estrogen and progesterone get rid of body hair? Um, so, and then she says also, if you have high testosterone, is it better to increase estrogen and progesterone or is it better to lower testosterone? I think that when we have PCOS and we have an excess of testosterone, we... Um, 
if we don't really understand how the hormones sort of work in balance with each other, if we don't really understand how we're getting high testosterone, um, it can be very confusing. And I remember when I first was sort of getting into the weeds with PCOS, where I remember thinking like, okay, well, maybe I should ask to be put on like estrogen pills, right? Because it's like, I have too much testosterone, so maybe I need more estrogen. Um, I remember thinking that birth control would probably fix the problem because birth control was going to give me estrogen. Um, and here's the thing. So first of all, there is no, there is no safe way to take, uh, like estrogen pills. Um, estrogen pills increase the risk of like, um, blood clotting. Um, they increase the risk of, um, a lot of different things. Like they're not good for, for PCOS. So there's nobody out there who's going to prescribe you like estrogen pills for, for PCOS. And this is, I'm talking about like, I like hormone replacement. I'm not necessarily talking about birth control. Um, birth control is actually what it does is it suppresses the creation of, of hormones in our system. Right. So, um, but they do make estrogen pills that are sometimes used in like IVF. Um, they do make estrogen repl hormone replacement therapy. You know, I personally am on a little hormone replacement therapy of estradiol um, patches and things like that. So those things do exist, but it's not something that's going to be um, one of the options for PCOS. And let me explain why. So in PCOS, we get high testosterone usually because of one of two reasons. We get high androgens, I should say. So we get um, maybe higher than normal levels of, um, of testosterone, higher than normal levels of DHEA. And we get these because primarily because of insulin. Um, those of us who have insulin resistance, you know, you're probably aware of this problem, but there are a lot of us with PCOS, especially younger women with PCOS who don't realize that they have an insulin issue because their blood work looks normal. I've mentioned before that your lab work can look normal, but you can still have uh, what we call hyperinsulinemia. So an excess production of insulin, even though your blood sugars, your A1C, all of that can look normal. Um, a good test to find out if you have insulin resistance or hyperinsulinemia is to ask your doctor to run a fasting insulin level on you. Um, now, will they do that? Will they not? It kind of depends. Uh, there are a lot of doctors who are really, really doing a lot of that these days because it's kind of a newer thing and it really seems to correlate well with, with issues. But there are a lot of doctors who are still kind of resistant to that. So you need to talk about it with your doctor and, um, hopefully figure out what's right for you. But I do think that it's a great test and I like to have my clients have that run. So the reason we get that excess testosterone is because we've got this, um, we've got this higher than normal level of insulin. What that insulin does is insulin is a hormone. And so it, uh, it preferentially, um, has the ovary create more testosterone. So when we've got that excess testosterone, it then sort of has nowhere to go. Um, and that's why it starts getting converted. So, Either testosterone will get converted to um, what's called DHT or dihydrotestosterone, which is like a super strong form of testosterone and one of the primary contributors to facial hair and other androgenic issues in PCOS. Or um, it'll also get converted uh, by an enzyme called aromatase into estrogen, actually. So testosterone gets converted into estrogen. And... Um, 
And this is where a lot of the problems start because in PCOS, we typically, um, we often, I should say, don't just have high testosterone, but we also have high estrogen. Um, And this may not show up on blood work as high estrogen. You may not get your labs and say, oh, I've got excessively high estradiol. Um, But what may be happening is that because you are not ovulating, because you are not having a period, you are not probably producing very much progesterone. And progesterone is the natural balancer to estrogen. So we get into this vicious cycle here because having extra extra estrogen is very insulinogenic. So it helps produce more insulin. And then that extra insulin is contributing to us not ovulating and that's to us making extra testosterone. We're getting all this conversion happening. To top it off, a lot of those with PCOS don't detox their hormone metabolites well. So we break down our hormones in the liver um, and then they go for excretion in our feces or our urine. Um, and in PCOS, it's very common to have something called dysbiosis or imbalances of bacteria in the gut. When there are imbalanced bacteria in the gut, we may create more of what are called beta-glucuronidase enzymes, which are enzymes that basically take estrogen that's ready to come out of the system. It's all packaged up and unpackage it and put it back into the bloodstream. So uh, we really get a lot of vicious cycles going on with PCOS. And, you know, the thing about hormones is that they exist in a balance. So if one thing is off, it'll throw everything else off. Um, so that's that's where this issue is coming from. Uh, the other place that it's coming from is from um, excessive production of like adrenal hormones. So or adrenal, I guess, yeah, I guess hormones is the right word. So like excess production of cortisol, um, excess stress in the in the life, stress in the diet, all those kinds of things can upregulate the adrenals, which then can upregulate the creation of um, androgenic hormones. Okay, and those can steal energy from the creation of progesterone. Another reason why we might have low progesterone. So here's the deal. When it comes to hormones, the hormone that most effectively helps block facial hair production in PCOS is progesterone. Um, And this is why a lot of women with PCOS do really well on something that's called cyclical progesterone therapy, which is basically where you will get bioidentical progesterone. So this is something that your doctor can prescribe called Prometrium. And that bioidentical progesterone, um, you take it at certain parts of your cycle, like when you would naturally produce progesterone during the second half. And it kind of helps mimic what your body should be doing, but probably isn't doing because you are not having a regular period. That progesterone can be really helpful at blocking um, those those receptor sites and, and making sure that you're not producing as much facial hair. Uh, so progesterone does play a role in, in facial hair. And I think you'll, you'll notice that it, I know that a lot of my clients have been on bio, uh, bioidentical progesterone, uh, you know, cyclic progesterone therapy. I did cyclic progesterone therapy for years, and I did find that when I was on that, uh, or by extension, when I was treated for endometrial cancer with high-dose progesterone, um, that I stopped producing as much facial hair. Um so it, it definitely, it definitely uh, does, does something. So that is where I think we have the most leverage. Now, 
this is stuff that may not be a possibility for you. So again, you have to talk with your with your doctor because not everybody is a good candidate for for progesterone therapy, um, especially if you're like on birth control or um, you know Mirena or whatever. Um, and I should say too that this is that what I'm speaking about here is bioidentical progesterone. I'm not talking about synthetic progestins, which would be things like Mirena or or the things that are in birth control and stuff. Those don't have the same effect. Um, but if you are a person who is a candidate for for cyclic progesterone therapy, I think it's worth trying to find a doctor who will pursue that with you because I know for me, it made a huge difference in my health and my quality of life. Progesterone helps you sleep. It's awesome. It's awesome to not produce as much facial hair. Um, But if you can't do it, for whatever reason, there's some there are some things that you can do to help promote progesterone production. Um, you know, Vitex is one thing that can help promote progesterone production. However, you shouldn't take it if you're on birth control, and you really should should use that under the guidance of a practitioner because you can do that wrong. Um, it doesn't. It's not potent forever. Um, your body can get used to it, so you have to do it in a certain way. Um, and I, I can't go into all of that here. But if you have the opportunity to work with a practitioner who's who's got some comfort level working with herbs like like Vitex, Vitex is a great option for helping to increase your progesterone if you're not on birth control. Um, other things, though, if you can't do that, let's say you are on birth control, right? There are other things that can lower testosterone. Um, there are, you know, there are supplements and there are herbs. And uh, I may do a podcast at some point on things with that, but I'm going to leave that there for now because that really answers the question um, of what to do. You know, is it estrogen? Is it progesterone? But to, to kind of answer the question fine, once and for all, um, taking estrogen will not help. Um, I think taking estrogen would really just add fuel to that fire. And that's a big reason why it's not really an option with PCOS. Um, okay. Another question that I got, I heard that cow's milk contains unnatural hormones that are given to cows. Does that in any way affect your hormones? Um, so yes, it can. Um, some studies have shown that women who consume more high fat dairy, so this is we're talking about conventional dairy here, conventionally raised dairy that was probably treated with antibiotics um, or hormones. They can uh, store hormonal components in the fat cells. So when you're eating food that is, um, you know, when you're eating red meat and you're eating the fat out of the red meat, you might be contributing to your hormone exposure. Um, If you're drinking dairy, a lot of dairy cows are kept pregnant uh, to be milked, and they're producing a lot of hormone for that, and that can contribute to um, more hormones in the diet than we want. So there have been some studies on this with breast cancer, finding that um, women who drank more high-fat dairy, because a lot of this concentrates in the fat, had higher levels of circulating um, estrogens and things. So there is a correlation there with the dairy products. Um, and I I do think, you know, there are many reasons to consider limiting dairy. 
Um, but that's a big one. Another big one is that in PCOS and in autoimmune conditions and infertility, I often see issues digesting dairy, issues with food sensitivities to dairy. So I'm not really a huge fan of dairy. There is a cohort of people who do pretty well on, you know, like maybe hard cheeses, um, raw dairy, things like that. If you have access to it, not all of us have access to that because it's not legal everywhere. Um, but I would say, at least in my clinical experience, that, that that group is sort of the minority. I do tend to like people to kind of stick to dairy-free. Now, does that mean that we need to be rigid about it? Um, it really depends on you. You know, if you've got a food sensitivity, a severe food sensitivity or an allergy to dairy, yeah, I think we need to be a little rigid. If not, if it's more just like we're trying to work on insulin, you know, because dairy has insulin-like growth factor in it, um, if we're trying to work on hormones, then, you know, maybe cutting back, maybe focusing on getting um, higher quality dairy, maybe focusing on just having it for enjoyment only, not using it as a therapeutic food, you know, cutting out milk. You can always replace, replacing milk is so easy. You can replace it with, there are tons of non-dairy options now. Um, you know, uh, there, if you can get non-GMO soy, like soy milk is, is actually a helpful option for, um, blocking estrogen, uh, estrogen alpha receptors, which are the kind of the more dangerous ones. So it actually can be good for you. Um, so there, there's a lot of options for replacing milk. I find that the thing that's harder to replace, I guess, is cheese. You know, there's just, I eat now personally, I eat vegan cheese because I don't eat dairy. Um, if I have it, it'll be like just a little bit because it'll be present in the food, you know, baked into it or whatever. And I'm not necessarily going to say no to to something like that at a restaurant or whatever. Um, hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. just to say no. However, 90 to 95% of my life is spent dairy-free. So when it comes to like meals where it requires cheese or cheese would make it better, I eat vegan cheese. Um, however, I will admit um, that even though my, like, even though I don't really eat dairy and so I haven't really had it in years, um, even I can tell that the, like the vegan cheese is not quite as good as the real cheese. Now I will say they are getting better with those vegan cheeses though, guys. Um, they are getting better with them. So, you know, but it, but that's the thing that people, I think, complain about the most is, like, the replacement of cheese. They miss cheese. So these are places where, like, okay, if we're going to have dairy, let's find the place where we really miss it the most or the place where we're really going to get the most enjoyment out of it. And that that's so important with food. It's so important with food, too 
to choose things that fill us up, right? Um, and to help our taste buds change so that we're not getting filled up with fast food, but that we're really starting to enjoy the flavors, the deep flavors and the, the, um, the, the effect of, of very, um, what am I trying to say? Rich foods, like foods that are uh, like foodie foods. You know what I'm saying? Foods that are very um, exciting to eat, shall we say. So I'd rather personally save my dairy exposures for something like, you know, a piece of really good cake at a restaurant or something. You know, I'd rather do that than... Uh, in my opinion, waste it on having like Greek yogurt. Like why when there's coconut yogurt or there's almond milk yogurt or there's soy milk yogurt or whatever else there is. Um, so to answer the question fully, yes. Uh, dairy products can contribute to hormone imbalances. Um, I will, to be fair, like there is controversy about this because there are some studies that show that dairy products can be helpful for like inflammation and in certain people and stuff. But I think by and large in the fertility crowd, it's probably not the best idea. There are other places where we can get better sources of calcium um, if that's the issue. So uh, yes, I think it can impact your hormone balance. And I think I've seen that um, clinically. So that's my opinion on that. Um but also keep in mind that like the same kinds of issues will also happen with eating a lot of like red meat um, or a lot of the fat from red meat. And, you know, that's that's another place where like my opinions have changed over the years because I'm from Texas and we eat a lot of red meat down here. And I used to be real into the whole paleo scene and I was very much like meat, you know, yeah meat's not bad for you. Meat's really good for you. Even red meat, even barbecued meat. And now it's like, okay, yeah, it's the barbecued stuff. Like it's not really the best. The smoked stuff, it's not really the best for you. Sausage is not really the best for you. And the fat from red meat is not so good for you, um, especially if it's conventionally raised. So, um, you know, keep in mind that those are also exposures where, where this stuff can happen. But there are lots of places in our diet where we can get exposed to endocrine disruptors, you know. So, um, so we just got to be careful, right? Okay, another question that we have here, I'm going to pull it up. It says, I've been diagnosed with PCOS. I'm trying to conceive. I'd really like to do it the natural way instead of taking fertility tablets. I do watch my diet and exercise, but it's so difficult to lose weight. My gynecologist told me I need to lose weight and my hormonal levels will be fine. Currently, my weight is 72 kilograms. Please advise what diet I should follow and what supplements you suggest I take for uh, good body, skin health, and fertility. Uh, so this is a, a pretty major question and I could spend an entire podcast on this one, but, um, I've done several podcasts talking about what the best diet is for PCOS and, um, my kind of approach to eating with PCOS. So I'll give you the briefer summary right now. Um, but also I want to mention too, that there, there can be deeper issues. If you do feel that you're eating well and you are exercising, um, it might be worth looking into some of the more root cause things that could be going wrong here. Um, the two biggest problems in PCOS that we see are insulin issues and inflammation issues. Um, 
We also see a healthy dose of adrenal issues in PCOS. So those are kind of the big, big three with inflammation and insulin sort of being the top two. So it's worth looking at your diet right now. How much carbohydrate does it have in it? Is it like healthy, but it's got quite a bit of, you know, sugar, quite a bit of carbs, you're eating a lot of whole grains, a lot of like whole wheat pastas, um, you know, yogurts and uh, like sandwiches and things like that. Sometimes people get into this mode where they are eating a lot of like uh, raw or uncooked or baked things. And because they don't seem, they're maybe lower in fat and they don't seem as rich, they mistake that for healthy. Um, because that's how we've been taught that being healthy is, right? Like the typical quote unquote healthy woman, she has like, you know, a juice for breakfast with like some fruit and she has maybe, you know, um, like a little mini muffin and then she'll have like a little sandwich for lunch with a salad and uh, yogurt for a snack and and all these different things. And and while for some people that works great, it's not the ideal diet for PCOS. Uh, so we have to look at insulin control here and really, really take a good hard look at how many carbohydrates are in the diet. Does that mean that you need to go super, super low carb or keto low? No, not at all. But it does mean that we might need to cut back some. And some, some of the places where you can cut easiest is by cutting out added sources of sugar. So if you are drinking anything sweet, if you are eating anything sweet besides like moderate amounts of fruit, you might want to cut back on those. Um, and then look at uh, from there, if you're still not seeing uh, benefits to your weight, then you might want to look at maybe I'm eating too many grains, too many beans, things like that. Maybe I should cut back and increase my protein some. Um, so, so those are things that I that I see a lot when a lot most people who come to work with me, not all, but most, will tell me that they eat a pretty healthy diet to begin with. But I'll tell you that what people consider to be a healthy diet really ranges across the board. Uh, for some people, it, it is truly a healthy diet. And then for some people, it's like really unhealthy, but they think it's healthy because that's how they've been taught. And that's not your fault. That is the fault of society and the fact that we can't all get on the same page about what a healthy diet is and the fact that there's bioindividuality and everybody needs something different with diet. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of differences in what's helpful for one person versus another. But we have to look at insulin. We also really have to, so if, we, if we're accounting for insulin though, and you know, I do see a fair amount of women who are accounting for insulin, but yet they are still struggling with losing weight with PCOS. Um, there are some other things to kind of look deeper at. Number one is, is sources of inflammation. So do you have digestive issues? Do you have IBS? Do you have diarrhea, constipation? There may be a food sensitivity here. There may be a food allergy here. Um, there may be uh, something, you know, that there's like maybe some chronic inflammation that's happening because of your digestive issues. So it might be worth looking at, at trying to fix those digestive issues first. There are lots of ways to do that. Elimination diets can be helpful to figure things out. Um, probiotics can be helpful. I think this type of thing is best done one-on-one -on -one with a practitioner who knows what they're doing, but there are some places where you can tinker at home. Um, and then you want to look to at adrenal issues. So what kind of exercise are you doing? For PCOS, typically what's best is uh, 
strength training, heavy weights, um, you know, spaced out. So like twice a week, maybe, and then doing just light things like walking. Um, if you're doing chronic cardio or you're, you know, on the elliptical six days a week, or you're going to, uh, one of these circuit training workout things like every day, um, that's a lot on, on the PCOS body. Um, PCOS body tends to do well with maybe slower movement, um, in more resistance. And I've seen that firsthand. Uh, I know you hear that a lot out there. There's a lot of influencers saying that, and there's actually a lot of truth to that. Um, that's how I work out. I go see my personal trainer once a week and we do heavy weights, heavyweight circuit workout. And then I walk, I do yoga and that's about it. I used to do two days a week with my trainer and I probably should go back to Tuesdays a week if I'm being honest. But, um, but yeah, I don't do any, any like of those boot camps or things like that. I don't think that those are great. And the reason is because they drain the adrenals. Um, so they upregulate cortisol, um, or in the later stages, they just kind of like really, really drain you. And, um, and that can be, that can be a sign to your body that you don't feel that you're not safe. And when your body doesn't feel safe, it doesn't like to let go of weight. Those things can also impact thyroid function. And there is a common, you know, there's a connection between PCOS and thyroid issues, hypothyroid issues, Hashimoto's. Um, so you need to get your thyroid checked as well. And um, sometimes people think they have PCOS, but they really have a thyroid issue. So it's worth um, looking into that. And I'd suggest going to a doctor who will run a full thyroid panel on you, who will check your, not just your TSH, but they'll also check your antibodies. They'll check your T3, your T4. Um, all those kinds of things can be important to get the overall picture of how your thyroid is functioning. And this is especially true if you have any of the symptoms of thyroid issues like cold hands and feet, um, thinning, thinning last third of your eyebrows, um, that kind of stuff. Constipation, you know, you can Google symptoms of hypothyroid and you'll find lots of, lots of insight on that. So that's a very, uh, quick way of talking about different things that I would rule out as a practitioner to try to figure out what the root cause of the PCOS issues are. And that's uh, really where we start because if we don't address those underlying issues, then um, you can lose all the weight you want, um, although it'll probably be really difficult to do so, but it may not make a difference in your overall health. And what the goal really is here is for you to have a healthy baby and also for you to be healthy. What we do know about pregnancy is that we really have this opportunity to impact multiple generations of children that will be born after our own child. So our the state of our womb when we get pregnant and when as we are pregnant impacts not just our own child but our child's child and our child's child's child. So our grandchildren um, and our great-grandchildren. So as women, we carry this huge opportunity and this huge burden of making sure that we're taking care of, of our bodies. The cool thing is that fertility can be kind of like a stopper. So it knows when we're unhealthy and it holds us back from reproducing. Um, but I have found that when women can can address this as particularly underlying inflammation, they do tend to lose weight. Um, and then that weight loss also um, and the health more being more healthy contributes to an easier time getting pregnant. Will you need fertility treatments? Um, I can't, you know. Who can say I needed fertility treatments? I had to go through IVF. So it may still be a possibility that that's necessary, 
But uh, I think any good reproductive endocrinologist will tell you that if you're healthy, um, then you have a better chance of having a successful fertility treatment cycle. Um, and, you know, a lot of times they equate health to weight. I don't necessarily do that. I think it's more complicated than weight. But sometimes weight is, is an indicator, I guess. It can be an indicator, one indicator. And so that's usually what they go off of for that. So I hope that answers that question. Um, I have really appreciated you guys submitting questions. If you have one, the link will be below to do that. If you have a chance, if you like the podcast uh, and you have an iTunes account, if you wouldn't mind leaving the podcast a review, it really helps. Um, And so I would appreciate that. And just keep up with me. Um, If you don't follow me on Instagram, that's kind of my hub. So definitely um, I would love to hang out with you there at Amber Fisher Nutritionist. I'm also on TikTok and, you know, all the normal channels. If you are a person who's thinking about wanting to work one-on-one with me, um, I am currently booking clients, I believe, in August. So um, the this is a great time to get in with me because the summer tends to be slower, so I don't have as long of a wait list. And, uh, and yeah, and there's always the chance that I'll have a cancellation as well and we can move you up sooner. So if you are on the fence about it, this is the time to do it, guys. Um, the fall tends to get really busy. So get in there before all those fall people. Even if you don't want to start working with me until fall, it might be worthwhile to go ahead and book your discovery session and just get yourself on the books. You can book out in advance several months. So with that said... I hope you all have a really, really good week. I can't wait to share what I learned with you and we'll talk soon. Bye. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.